Amen. Let's take our seats. And if you have a Bible, you'd like to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to read from verses 1 through to verse uh, 15 or 16. But we're going to zero in on one particular verse this morning. The title of the sermon is Christ is Lord and King. But we see in the temptation uh, by Satan that the Lord Jesus cites uh, from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. We'll hear the reading before we turn to the sermon. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you, be, let you hunger and be fed and fed you with manna which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground um, <clears throat> just a moment where there was no water who brought you water out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end beware lest you say in your heart my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth 
You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Well, praise God for the reading of the word of God, but we're going to look specifically this morning at verse uh, chapter, uh, just a moment, I've read chapter 8, but it's actually chapter 6 and verse 13 that we're going to look at. And it says here in 6 and verse 13, it is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. So we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13, which Christ uses in that temptation as the devil comes to him. Deuteronomy is a book that we should all give careful attention to. Why is that? Why should we give careful attention to Deuteronomy? Well, because the Lord Jesus cites from it three times. Now, how would you fare if you'd have been in the wilderness and the devil had come to you and tempted you? Notice that Jesus doesn't say, give me a moment, I need to find my concordance to know what I should be citing. Clearly, he must have memorized probably the whole book of Deuteronomy and he knew exactly what to say. And he responded to the devil with what? Before he said anything, he said, it is written. It's the authority of the word of God that rules over our lives and rules over the church. Our message this, all, this morning is Christ is Lord and King. And therefore, because he's Lord and King, he's citing this word in chapter 6 and verse 13, it is the Lord your God, you shall fear him and shall serve, uh, and by his name you shall swear. In other words, our response to fear the Lord is as a result of Christ being both Lord and King. So it's not in a vacuum, and so we're going to take a look at this this morning as we've seen in that third temptation the devil comes as the slanderer, as Diabolus, as the adversary. And he comes and he twists scripture. He's, he, he, he attacks Jesus. But how does Jesus respond? He doesn't start prophesying to the devil. He says, no, it is written. And in the end, on the third temptation, he says, be gone, Satan. And Satan has to go. Why? Because the word of the Lord and King has been spoken. And so he leaves until an opportune time. And what we want to think about this morning is Christ is Lord and King. Uh, therefore, we are to fear the Lord, your God, worship him, serve him, and swear allegiance to him. Do you do that? Well, that's going to be part of the application for us this morning. Um, but before we get any further, the headings will simply be the fear of the Lord your God. Secondly, to serve the Lord your God. Thirdly, to worship the Lord your God. In the Westminster 
the confession of faith in chapter 21 and verse 1. We read these words. It says, The light of nature shows that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all, and therefore he is to be feared, loved, and praised. Let me read that one more time. The Westminster Confession, chapter 21 and verse 1. The light of nature shows that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all, and therefore is to be feared, loved, and praised. But before we get to the first heading, let's just think about that just for a moment, about where we find in the scriptures that Christ is clearly revealed and that God is revealed to be Lord and King. We can only declare that Christ is Lord and King because God is revealed to be Lord and King from Genesis 1 verse 1 until the last verse of Revelation chapter 22. And because he is Lord and King, if there's anybody who confesses Jesus Christ to be Lord, is there anybody here who would confess Jesus Christ to be your Lord? Amen. Well, then this word is for you because the Bible says you are therefore to fear the Lord your God, you're to worship the Lord your God, you're to serve the Lord your God, and you're to swear allegiance to him. Where do we find that God is revealed? Let me look at four ways that scripture reveals that. Firstly, in creation. Secondly, in the exodus. Thirdly, on the cross. And fourthly, in this temptation which we've just read. Let's just think for a moment about the light of nature. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3. We see the lordship and the kingship of almighty God. As God speaks and says, let there be light. And what happens? And there was light. There's the voice of God our king, of God our lord. Have you seen anything of the James Webb telescope this eight billion pound telescope has been launched into outer space and nasa have already been revealing some of the photographs the, the phenomenal photographs of the outer reaches of the universe of of who of who our god created this is not billions of years created it's by the word of the power of our god and the magnificence of, of his glory we're just seeing through the images already in that James Webb telescope. What's our response? It's to worship the Lord. For those who are familiar with the book of Genesis and this account, we have a wonderful verse in, which reveals to us the lordship and the kingship of our God. It's in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 16. What do we find there? Well, not only does God create the light... It says in verse 16, and God made the two great lights. Well, hang on for a moment. I thought God had already made light. Yes, he created light before he made the two great lights, which was the sun and the moon. God had already created light, and it says, and God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Look at the magnificence of our king. He says, it just says, and the stars. There are billions of stars out there that our God has created. Our God who is Lord and King 
and even these images that we see, it just shows some of the infinitude and the magnificence of our God. What are we doing today? We are worshipping this God who is Lord and King. What about the Exodus? The Exodus, the most powerful nation in the world. And we, we see that in Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. And what we read in Jeremiah, it points us backwards to see the deliverance that God gave from the Egyptians, which were the most powerful nation in the world. Now, as we sit here today, every one of us is bombarded um, with what? We're bombarded with unbelief. Everything in this world will push back against the teachings of the Bible. God says he created everything. The world says, no, it didn't. It evolved out of nothing. It's true, God created everything out of nothing, but this world pushes back against everything. Christ is both Lord and King. He's not just Lord over the church. He's Lord over everything. Is that your God? And what we find in the book of Exodus is that this, this Pharaoh, the most powerful leader of the most powerful nation in the world, decides to harden himself against God. Moses brings the word of the Lord to him and says what? Let my people go. And what does Pharaoh do? He refuses. And in the end, God grabs hold of Pharaoh by the scruff of the neck and drowns him in the Red Sea and takes all of his army and all of Pharaoh's army are drowned in the Red Sea. Praise God. Christ is Lord and King. Thirdly, on the cross, Jesus Christ is nailed. The second person of the Trinity, who is Lord and King, is nailed to a tree. Where? In Jerusalem. And silently, he submits himself to the plan of the Heavenly Father, as the Roman soldiers nail above his head. And what do they nail? Jesus, the King of the Jews. And it's in three languages, in Latin, in Aramaic, and Greek. And so it's heralded, the gospel is paraded to all, that here is the King of the Jews. Christ is not only Lord, but he's King. And he's not simply the King of the Jews. He's the King over all. And on that tree... Jesus took our sin. He took our death. He died on the tree, a death that we would die because those who call upon the name of the Lord, they are saved from what is called the second death. The second death is where someone dies in their sins and then the punishment for dying in your sins is to be cast into the lake of fire. What a fearful thing. To face, You may get away with your sinfulness in this world, but if it's not confessed and cleansed with the blood of Jesus, there'll be a day of reckoning for everyone. Everybody will come before the bar of God's judgment. Every word that we speak will be judged for. Everything will be brought that's in darkness will be brought into the light, and Jesus will be judged. But that judgment on the cross, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And fourthly, in this temptation, what do we see the devil did? The devil wanted to point everything away from God. He wanted to obscure things. And so the devil came and said, oh, Jesus, look at, these, look at these stones, turn them into bread. 
How does Jesus respond? He says, it is written. And he focuses on the Lord and the word of God. And then thirdly, in the last temptation, he comes and he says, look, here's all these nations. I'll give them to you. No, he won't. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The devil, Satan, is a liar. He's a deceiver. He doesn't have kingdoms to give away. Everything in this world belongs to Almighty God. Amen? Everything belongs to Almighty God. Every oil field, every diamond field. Maybe you've got a few pound coins in your back pocket. Ultimately, all of this belongs to the Lord. Even the breath we have in our lungs and the devil comes this slanderer and Jesus says no you won't it is written and he defeats him and he has to leave for a season and his final word to the devil was this from Deuteronomy he says it is written it is the Lord your God you shall fear him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear so I pronounce to all of us this morning in the house of the Lord, that Christ is Lord and King. And therefore, we must bow before him. Our first setting is the fear of the Lord your God. And we'll look briefly at these three points. The first is the fear of the Lord your God. A question for us is, do we fear our God? Another question uh, can be uh, taken from us from that statement that Jesus gives. Thomas Watson said, we should study the shortness of our life and the length of eternity. We should study the shortness of our life and the length of eternity. Jacob, you remember Jacob? He, he fled for his life and, and then God in his grace met with Jacob and remember what the Lord said when Jacob awoke from his sleep? He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And Jacob said, he says he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Is that your experience this morning? fresh sense of the fear of almighty god i've got to say and you can feel free to disagree with me my experience uh, in the contemporary church in the last 30 to 40 years of my experience i can't exactly say i would give the church full marks for uh, pursuing the fear of the lord jesus said it is the lord your god you shall fear him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13. Our God is immense. Our God is infinite. Our God is powerful. Our God is the one alone who we must fear. There's nobody that we should fear except the Lord our God. And the, Jesus taught that. He said, he said, people will even try and kill you. He said, but we should fear him who has the power to cast both body and soul into hell. And so he tells us, the Lord Jesus, that 
that God alone is the one whom we should fear. In Matthew's Gospel, as we've said, in this temptation here, uh, it's very clear for us. And other books of the Bible are filled with the theme of the fear of God. Ecclesiastes, for example. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 14. It says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 7. When dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. This sermon is not only for adults, it's for children who are here as well. That God calls all of us to fear him. Listen to this from Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 18. It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God, fears God, shall come out from both of them. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 12. See, this theme is woven all the way through. Though a sinner does a evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. What a wonderful pastoral word for us this morning. Let me read that one more time. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 12. The writer says, Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. Not least in this world, but in eternity. Heaven will be a place of the fear of the Lord. There'll be nobody in heaven who will not fear God. But the fear of the Lord is clean, it says in the Psalms, enduring forever. So this is not a demonic fear. It's not a devilish fear. It's not a, not a fear like that the world has. It's a clean fear, which is far more than simply respecting God. Ecclesiastes 8.13, it says, But it will, be, will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear God. Isn't that the gospel? The gospel says of all men who sin, that they do not fear God. And Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. Well, let's move on. The first thing we see in Deuteronomy uh, 6 and verse 13, it says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Our second heading is serve the Lord your God. Second heading is to serve the Lord your God. Um, Clearly, there's a logical application there. If someone's going to fear the Lord, it won't just stop there. That person will be committed to serving the Lord. And, um, and, and so that we can ask ourselves questions. We, we do not live today in an agricultural society, certainly not for this congregation. But there are some congregations that are more agricultural. And you don't you don't push a cart. If you push a cart, it'll just go all over the place like this. You have to pull a cart. 
In other words, you've got to get first things first. We have to fear the Lord our God. And then secondly, what will follow behind is to serve the Lord your God. And that's exactly what Jesus says in, in, in Matthew chapter 4. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so therefore, serving him will follow from fearing the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord warns and says, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. We're going to finish off praying the Lord's Prayer together this morning. And one of the things the Lord's Prayer teaches us is, it's not simply to know it and say it by rote, but to know the content of all the lines and the petitions. And the petition there, hallowed be thy name. And so here are two names of God for us. One is the Lord your God. And secondly, the Lord your God is a jealous God. And repeatedly in the ministry of Jesus... We find in the Gospels and in the Epistles, it's revealed to us that Christ is Lord and that Christ is King. In fact, when he returns in Revelation, it's revealed that he will be revealed to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And therefore, we fear the Lord your God. And you want to know what the experience will be of people who do not live a life fearing God is that when Christ comes as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that they cry out to go to caves and for rocks to cover them because the glory of Christ is so magnificent and there's a separating between the sheep and the goats. You can't necessarily see or necessary outwardly, who are sheep and who are goats, but you will when Jesus returns. When he returns, he'll be revealed visibly to be Lord and King and for all eternity. So the second heading is to worship the Lord and to serve him and for us to ask ourselves, do we live our lives as individuals and as families to serve the Lord? And serving, in particular, is in reference to our third and last heading, which is to worship the Lord your God. To worship the Lord your God. Because that's exactly what the Lord Jesus uh, says in, in the New Testament, where he quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13 and says, It is the Lord your God whom you shall fear. In Matthew, we see that same quotation is written for us as worship the Lord your God. Have you ever come across people sometimes that they say that all of life is worship? Have you ever met people who push that kind of teaching? Well, it's not true to say that all of life is worship. Worship is actually a conscious act. And for us in the church, the high point of worship in our services is actually the preaching of the Word of God. It's the preaching of the Word of God which unfolds the truth of God for us. And so we worship God in particular 
by worshipping him and by especially on the day of the week that the Lord has given for us. It's true that we can worship the Lord anywhere and everywhere, but there's a particular command in the fourth commandment which says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so therefore we're called and invited by the Lord our God to come and to worship him, not simply on our own, but to gather together with the people of God. And what a joy it is to be able to sing praises together. And that when we hear singing, and we hear people around us singing, that that strengthens our faith. And so we're not to absent ourselves from the worship of God. God calls us to come to his house, wherever that is that we, we gather together to worship him, and to come and sit under the word of God and to worship the Lord your God. And we praise God that though the first Adam failed, Christ our Lord and King succeeded, succeeded on every point. So we're to fear the Lord our God, we're to serve the Lord our God, and we're to worship the Lord our God. As we come to a conclusion, how can we apply this for us today? How can we be thinking about this? Well, if you're wondering what what book would you like to read next? Well, why not take the book of Deuteronomy, which was a favorite of the Lord Jesus Christ, and begin to look at that book, to meditate on it, to read it and to study it? What about application, how we can grow in the fear of the Lord our God? Well, how about taking books on the fear of God and, and pursuing it uh, as a subject uh, for example, John Bunyan wrote a book on the fear of God, and he spent over 12 years in prison in Bedford for the gospel. And what did he come out with? He came out of Bedford prison with uh, Pilgrim's Progress, and he also then wrote a book on the fear of God. And he talks about the fear of God, that this is a grace that's called the beginning of knowledge which is what the scripture says. If you want to grow in the knowledge of the Lord, you're going to have to grow in the, in the fear of God. John Bunyan says from scripture, this fear of God is called the beginning of wisdom. Do you desire the wisdom of God? Well, the way is into that wisdom of God is the, the fear of God. It says, John Bunyan says, thirdly, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So the fear of the Lord will lead you away from evil and temptations. Fourthly, John Bunyan says from Scripture, the fear of God is called a fountain of life. A fountain of life. When you grow in the fear of the Lord, there'll be a fountain within you which will spring up and bring that fountain of life wherever you go. And fifthly, John Bunyan said, the fear of the Lord is called the instruction of wisdom. As we close this morning, as I've heralded to us, that Christ is both Lord and King. What can we learn from this? Well, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. What a wonderful promise that is. Don't you love that promise? But what's the power behind that promise? It's the, the power is that Christ is Lord and King. 
No earthly pastor or any human being can say, if you follow me, all things will work together for good. No, no human being has that power. But God Almighty has that power. Whatever you're going through today, be assured, all things, if you're a Christian, all things are working together for your good. God will weave it together. Why? Because Christ is Lord and King. He has the power. He's the one who flung the stars into space. They talk about all these so many, I don't know how many years away they, things are. I don't really listen to the world scientists on that. What I know is, is that when I see these photographs, I see that God is big. God is big, and he has the power to weave together. In the, uh, uh, I don't know what the stags were up to this weekend, but I know I was on my knees praying this morning, and, uh, and, and I finished praying, and I, my eyes opened. I thought, what is that? In the corner, there was a bunch of, uh, they'd been doing some pottery in the hem party, and I saw all these different vessels that, They've been turning clay into, I don't know what they were, into cups and into whatever else and so forth. And um, it's a good job I was not part of that hem party, otherwise I don't know what I would have made. But God himself is the potter and we're the clay and he molds us into a perfect vessel. He works all things together for good because he's a wonderful heavenly Father. So let us cultivate the fear of the Lord. The sermon is Christ is Lord and King. Therefore, let us fear the Lord. Let us worship the Lord. Let us swear allegiance to him. And may, us, may we make the fear of the Lord a lifelong pursuit for us.